Hello, listeners. This is Casey, and I just snuck into the studio by myself, which is a a rare thing to do. Um, Because before you listen to this episode, I do have some news that I want to share, which is that after three years, six seasons, this season of Real Talk is going to be my last as co-host. So I don't want this to come you know, it's a huge shock to you. We're coming to the end of the season, but I wanted to let you know that, you know, those of you who've been listening for a long time are so used to hearing me co-hosting with different people throughout the years with Jamil, with Danielle and Saida and Zoe um, and other members of the team. And it has been truly such a privilege. One of the most meaningful things that I've, I've done in my life to be able to meet and have deep conversations with so many interesting people who are doing such good work. Um, and then to share those out with all of you listening, truly such a privilege. And man, I have, of course, many, many, many feelings about coming to an end of my time with Real Talk. It's just become such a part of my, like who I am, really. Um, but I've, you know, as time has gone on, I mean, projects come to an end for people. But as an artist, especially, this is just such a tremendous creative output. And I believe so much in, in dialogue and conversation and it's, its power to move and change. But I'm also a cartoonist and I have realized that these things pull from the same well. And what I feel is just really important step for me in terms of what's next is to get back to my work as a cartoonist and making comics, because I feel that that is a really important contribution that I have to make. And I have so many undrawn comics and there's a way, well, it just pulls from the same place. We'll talk more about this in the finale. I'm already trailing off here, but long story short, my time on Real Talk is coming to an end. We're looking for someone else to to fill my shoes and take the podcast perhaps um, in a new direction. But we have quite a legacy that we've built here that we'll reflect on in the finale. But I'm giving you, you know, I guess a couple weeks notice that this is going to be the end of my time at Real Talk. And it truly, it, it means so much to all of us here to have you all listening. So thank you for that. That's a gift to all of us. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and we have just a couple more for you this season, but it's been a joy. It's been a privilege. And here we go. Welcome back to Real Talk, everyone. I'm Casey here with Saida and Danielle. And y'all, it's been a little while since we've recorded together. I mean, episodes have been coming out weekly. That's true. But I haven't seen y'all in a few weeks. And today we're talking about, one of the things we're going to be talking about is, is the importance of creating spaces for others to share. And I wonder, within higher ed for y'all, I mean, that's part of what we try to do on the podcast, Mm -hmm. but- where have you experienced like people creating intentional spaces for, for gathering, for, for sharing, for working together, or where have you been missing it? Ooh, I don't know. The, the one thing I can think of is 
it's probably not necessarily higher ed, but like going back to a previous podcast episode with the community spaces. So probably one of the most prevalent places for creating spaces and sharing to me has been Possible Futures, the local bookstore in New Haven. And on campus, I would say small pockets of it and just like groups and organizations. I think at this point it's kind of hard to to see it materialize the same way as the before times because everybody's just a different human being, the after times. But yeah, I, I would say small pockets of it I can see on campus. But from for me, like substantial um, shared space would be possible futures. Mm. How about you, Saida? I can't really speak to it that well. You know, I always have a million things going on and I haven't really been in the community. I've been a crab, so head in the books. Um, I would say that I would like to see more communal spaces to just gather and sit silently, right? Mm. Like not just the library, because that's not open every day. And like Danielle said about possible features and those spaces, I just haven't been over there because I'm usually doing things at ridiculous hours. Mm. I feel like we need like a late night do work meetup place. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I'm thinking about, you know, this is something that I have missed since I left my PhD program in Wisconsin, that our department used to have a weekly colloquium where people would share, like both grad students and faculty would share their research. And it was high pressure. I mean, you would prepare like all semester. It's a 45-minute talk and a 45-minute Q&A. Really great practice for something like uh, dissertation defense or exam defense. But also, I mean, it just raised the bar. And also we got to see new work from our our faculty. It also takes time and and energy and buy-in to organize those kinds of shared workspaces and and then I outside of that sort of long-standing like research sharing support space I've been a part of different kinds of reading groups and a few different book projects certainly in my my comics making class that really we we sort of created informal cohorts I don't think I would be able to sustain being in higher ed without you know and they change and they they shift you know it's not like you're part of a group necessarily for the whole of your life or your career, but those, those spaces. And this podcast is one of those spaces for me mm-hmm. that helps sustain me on, you know, in the grind. Yeah. And it certainly has been quite a grind. All right. So I need to bring in our, our two guests today to talk about uh, their brand new co-edited book. So we've got two of our esteemed colleagues in public health from Southern Connecticut State University here to talk about Uh, Their new book, Navigating Academia During COVID-19, Perspectives and Strategies from BIPOC Women. And first, we have an alumna of the podcast from early days. So if you've been listening since 2021, you have heard Dr. Marion Evans on the podcast. She's an associate professor in the public health department. Also, along with me, an affiliate faculty in gender and women's studies Uh, She's got an MD from Penn State University uh, and a Master of Public Health from Southern Connecticut State University. Um, She teaches a very popular class on women's health. Mm -hmm. In fact, is a very popular teacher on campus in general. Mm -hmm. Uh, Works on reproductive justice, environmental health, many things. She's everywhere doing doing the most. And we also have Anuli Njoku, an associate professor as well in public health, who got her doctorate of public health at Drexel University and did a postdoc at Fox Chase Cancer Center, uh, where I have a friend actually who's doing a postdoc there now. 
Wow. Small um, world. Very small world. Who just returned from a Fulbright in Brazil. Oh, wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was like, amazing. Just quite recently. Um, and who's, whose work on social determinants of health, health disparities, both of you focus on uh, environmental health yep. and just do really engaged work. You're, you're both such engaged scholars, teachers. Um, and this book, just out from Palgrave Macmillan, uh, is, I think is a testament to that. So before we get into this beautiful book, we're delighted to have you as a stop on our book tour your book tour. (laughs) And would you talk to us, because this book is so much about people sharing stories and experiences from being, uh, living through the COVID-19 pandemic in higher ed. Would you tell us a little bit about your stories and your journeys? Like how did you come to where you are as, as professors in public health? And then how did you come to work together um, in in such a, a meaningful way here? So what are your stories? And, and who was there for you along the way? First of all, thank you for the invitation. Oh my gosh, uh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here and to share with you all and your audience. So as to your questions, you asked about the journey in public health. So I will try to make a bite-sized version because so much to tell. So um, in undergrad, I actually didn't start out pub- studying public health. Um, so my um, I'm first generation American. My parents immigrated here from Nigeria. Nigeria. My dad is a physician and mm-hmm. said, you're the firstborn, so you're going to be a physician just like me. So I go to college and um, I take bio for two years and struggling. Um, I think when I took organic chemistry, I said, okay, this is just not it. Um, so after two years of bio, I changed my major to exercise science uh, oh, for one semester. Oh, finally. So I said, okay, it's somewhat related to health and science, um, but it just wasn't quite meshing for me. And I kind of accidentally stumbled on public health. I literally saw a flyer. Um, I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey, and I saw a flyer saying um, public health program. And I think what I liked about the description was it just seemed very interdisciplinary. Yes. I saw classes in anthropology, sociology, psychology, mm. um, uh, and my minor in um, college was Africana studies, oh, so African American studies. And that was also eye-opening. I said, oh, why didn't I learn all this stuff in high school? So that was... Um, so I wanted to see a mix of something where I can um, learn about health. I've always been interested in health and also justice mm-hmm. and just um, yes. equality. So I switched my major to public health um, and still graduated in four years, which was a feat in itself. And I lo- never looked back. So I studied public health ever since once I did my undergrad. Then I did my master's of public health at Boston University, doctor of public health at Drexel. So just nice. all the way through. And um you know, I, I tell students that um, when you um, do something you, you enjoy, you never work a day in your life. So I think it was the best decision ever. Mm. Um, one of the things in terms of path to higher ed that I think thinking about this story, especially when I was a grad student um, a doc- in my doctoral program, I remember wishing that I, I felt like there were so many missed opportunities. Like, why didn't someone tell me about that opportunity, whether it was oh, to sure. publish or to write or to research or to present, I felt that, you know, I, I probably had this um, uh, wonder in my mind or just in, in curiosity and wished that somebody was there to nurture it. And um, I felt like I was so immersed. I, you don't think about it at the time, but I noticed it when I um, went on the tenure track for academia, my academic, first academic position um, at a rural university in Michigan. And mm. I said, oh, I needed to publish. I needed to do these things. But I looked back and I remembered that I wasn't often given those opportunities. And I saw who was given those opportunities and they didn't look like me. And I just mm-hmm. remember being uh. like, okay, well, 
Um, so first, my first step was, okay, how do I kind of, I felt like I was playing catch up, getting caught up. Like, so some of it was self-taught. I would go to these professional development webinars, just try to gain as much knowledge as possible. Okay, how do you publish? How do you, like, mm. what does it mean to, and, and those were vital. So Casey, how you were saying that, you know, those conferences and things were sustaining you, those workshops were really sustaining me on the, on the tenure track. Like, oh, this is how you can um, not just survive in academia, but thrive in academia. Mm. And um, a lot of the workshops were geared towards um, investigators um, um, of color or just um, young minority um, investigators. And I just remember just really savoring that. And I also, also told myself that when I was in the opportunity um, to be able to give back, I would make sure that I would do that. So mm. I think um, this story kind of came about with reflections about, okay, now how do we share her experiences now is um, in academia um, as women of color, um, um, black women professors. There's a stat out there that says for every 100 professors you meet, only four of them are black women. Oh, so um, so it so just even knowing that, OK, you're in a place where you have an opportunity to represent, you know, visibility, represent and also share. And so along with that stat, um, I think the coming together of this book was all of those experiences that. Is, is it's several books in itself. Yes. Like just everything you could possibly experience. So I think in, I'll, I'll pause there because I'm, I'm sure there'll be more to expand on. So, you know, I, I'm so glad that you, you shared um, specifically your experience with with not knowing about opportunities, not being invited in on opportunities, mm -hmm. um, because if someone were just looking at your bibliography of published work, they wouldn't necessarily know that they'd be like, well, this is a researcher who is prolific. Um, and wouldn't have known that that wasn't an inevitability. Thank you for pointing that out. I think I even surpassed my expectations. So even just yeah. coming here to Southern just three years ago, I think coming in the height of the pandemic and also just nurturing that curiosity for research. And I found that, you know, from one uh, uh, opportunity, I always believe in seizing the moment, seizing that opportunity. And I felt that even just doing that, putting yourself in position to get an opportunity. It created opportunities for me. Mm. It, it just created themselves. So mm -hmm. I didn't even have to seek, people were seeking me out. Oh, I mm -hmm. saw this paper you published and they, they would invite me to another paper, another book. And so, you know, I, research begets research. Once you put yourself yes. in positions, um, you could actually create more opportunities for yourself. So, um, and then I felt like it was a lot of playing catch up. So I just, okay, I made up for lost time. Like, oh, I could have been doing, it's amazing to think I could have probably even had more publications just because I've always worked in these really big name hospitals yeah. like, um, in Philadelphia, New York City, these big name cities, but just um, didn't always get those opportunities to publish and um, things like that until much later. Very interesting. Marion, what's your journey? I love listening to Anuli's story because, um, you know, and I've heard some pieces of it and it's always, you know, um, because mine is so different. Mm. Um, I was... Uh, her father would have loved me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you did the thing. <laughs> Her father would have loved me because my journey was, I was really focused on medicine. Um, and I didn't find out about public health till I was much later and much, much older in my, my journey. I was focused on going to medical school and, and, you know, majored in biology and did that biochemistry and got through it. And, um, you know, went to medical school and did two residencies. Um, and my background is in OBGYN and anesthesiology. And so, um, you know, I believe that 
that was what I needed to do. And, and when I talked to people about that, and they were like, oh, don't you wish, wish you were back in healthcare? Or do you ever miss it? When you understand that public health is about community, population, and medicine is about individual, mm-hmm. right? So we go from an individual. I went from an individual to a population community sort of framework. And that was something that as I look back, I realized that I was always doing. I had this conversation yesterday with someone else and I said, I didn't know. When I was 14, I started my own youth group. Mm. I I was presenting and traveling to conferences on teen prevention pregnancy, mm. right? I didn't know that I was doing public. <laughs> You know, and nobody ever took me aside. I did research when I when I stopped doing medicine. I did research. I went into the research arena and was a, a you know physician researcher at um, the Griffin uh, Prevention Research Center at at, at Griffin Hospital, and um, I I published a couple of, of of publications, right? And so I I had a couple of publications, you know, on my resume when I came into academia. So I didn't think that much of it. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't really understand where that sat with and um, you know, in academia. And so mm-hmm. as I came into academia, I came in as an adjunct professor. Mm-hmm. So I came into Southern um, as an adjunct professor. Um, I had already been a health director a public health health director for the largest city in Connecticut. So I approached public health from the practice viewpoint mm-hmm. and, you know, not understanding that most of my life I spent doing health education and health promotion, you know, in the community, not really even understanding, um, you know, the gist of it. So once I, I understood academically what public health was, I was like, Oh, I've been doing this for a long time, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I just think that, you know, I love listening to her story and I actually love for her to go first because it's, I, I see how my path was so different from uh, Dr. Angelica's. And so um, I, I love uh, listening to her first and thinking about, yeah, you know, my path was different. And so even in my classroom, you know, my stories are I have stories about medicine and practice and the intertwining of medicine and public health. And I think that uh, no knowledge is wasted. And when we think about uh, spaces, I just want to, you know, move on to to, to the topic. Um, I want to challenge your listeners and viewers to think about creating spaces or spaces. When I listen to, to Saeda and... Um, the conversation, the conversation you were having about spaces, immediately people went to physical space, right? right. So right. I love possible book, possible futures bookstore as well. Mm-hmm. But I want to challenge your listeners to think about creating spaces outside of the box, mm-hmm. right? And one of our um, one of our chapters in our book, uh, Dr. Hutchinson talks about how Bell Hooks talked about home places, right? Mm -hmm. And what those home places could possibly be. And does it need to be a physical space or a a space place at all, right? I think Zoom now, in the era that we're in, you know, and and you talked about like the reading groups and things like that. And when we've done presentations about this particular um, chapter in our book, 
the audience has actually talked about uh, creating spaces through virtual spaces and things like that. And I think we'll see a lot more of that. And, you know, I think that our future mm-hmm. will be similar to your podcast. And like you said, Casey, about what you're doing. So thinking about spaces and creating spaces sort of out of the box in an out of the box way, you know, um, I think is, is, is something to be thought about um, as we move forward. And, um, you know, people sharing our stories. I, I approach my chapter in the book really very personally. Yep. And it was always interesting for me to see now that the book is out. I've actually gone through and reread just the chapters from the Southern authors again. I mean, it's one thing when you're reading to edit, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and all of that, right? It's another thing when you're reading to like sort of digest. And I've started to take now notes mm-hmm. on those chapters and what some of the the meanings and things are that have, are coming out for me as I reread those chapters mm-hmm. um, and as we present and, and, and do some other things. And so um, it's sort of taken on a, a whole new life for me. Yeah. It's a really um, rich book. When I ran into you all walking on campus the other night, I, I had just finished it. And I was like, it's so much more than a book. It really <laughs> is in a lot of ways. Like in one, also reading it, it brought me right back to the the like height of the pandemic. Viscerally, it made me realize like maybe there's some stuff I need to deal with <laughs> that I haven't dealt with. I think it will serve as a record in a lot of ways, yeah. an archive. Of, yeah, um, I think we all have those things, right, Casey? Mm-hmm. So we all have those things that are undealt with. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that I would take go the path of writing that piece that I wrote mm-hmm. the way I did, right? Like I, I when some if somebody would have told me last year that that was the piece I was going to write, I would be like, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So okay, let's 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 set this up for for listeners a little bit. So the book is divided into three parts, uh, recognizing inequities, building resilience, solutions, and strategies. Um, And it is a hugely diverse group of authors. Um, So diverse in terms of role, discipline, approach to how they wrote the the piece. Some are more personal, some a little less. Um, People's backgrounds, their age, the institution they're at. You know, some are are faculty, graduate students, administrators. Some people are writing about leaving their job. And then, of course, race, religion, ethnicity, um, so anyway, a really wide variety of perspectives um, and voices all together. But then a lot of themes that you can pull through. And as I was reading, I was thinking this is, A, like such a great book to read with reading groups, like with people, um, and also a book that's worth revisiting. I thought it was so interesting to read. To It's also an edited collection. It's so nice to hear from so many different, a community of people. And I had just, you mentioned our colleague, Dr. Hutchinson. And I had just talked to Brandon Hutchinson just a couple days before I read her essay for quite a long time. And one of the things that she was talking about was that coming back to campus, she likes being at home. Um, And really, it was sort of just as much as that. And then I read her essay and I understood what she was talking about on such a deeper level. Um, And I know a a number of other colleagues that are in the book. And I have never, I know them you know, professionally, some as friends, but the the stories that they were sharing just seemed like such a gift. And I understood how much, you know, Brandon is talking about creating her home as a, you know, a space of revolutionary love. Um, And then being able to give that to students and be able to protect herself 
in some ways from microaggressions, hostilities that she would experience moving through the physical space of campus. Um, and then, so anyway, it's, it's just so interesting to read um, these kinds of stories. And I'm in the humanities, but a lot of folks in here are in the sciences or social sciences. Um, and y'all are not yep. usually doing published academic writing in this way. Is that a fair assessment? Very fair. Um, first of all, you so um, adeptly summarized the book. I'd Thank like you so much. Have to visit you for if we need, you know, when they need that write up for our book. You just, I think you summed up everything, even talking about the diversity and just yeah, the yeah, types yeah. of writers, the departments, and um, one of the things you made me think about was the birth story of the book, like how yeah. it even came together. And I thought about that when you said you read the book and you felt like there might have been things that you need to revisit. Mm. And it, this whole book started from responding to a call for abstracts. When I, my first semester here at Southern, the, this uh, conference annual, it's called the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity in Higher Education. Mm-hmm. So they had a call for abstracts. And I remembered it was literally the first year of COVID. And I thought about teaching during trauma. That was, it just kind of yeah. popped up in my head. And I thought of Dr. Evans, and, and I tell her this story all the time. And I said, I'm a new faculty, and the deadline was something like end of December. And I remember saying, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> and I said, I would love to be able to collaborate with her on it. But then I was nervous about emailing her. I said, December, this is break. This is when everybody's, like, taking time off. I don't want to overwhelm her. And I said, okay, well, let me just try it anyway. And I feel like that was the best thing that ever happened because also it was an opportunity for both of our perspectives to come together. So Mm -hmm. I always say if you just look at it from one perspective, you get so much more depth when you look at it from a shared perspective. Absolutely. So we submitted this abstract and um, we got it by the deadline and December deadline. They said they were going to get back to us by February with results and came back and said, your abstract was accepted. So we were like super excited. It was the first time ever that they had to do the conference uh, virtually Mm because it was always done in person. So later that year, June, 2021, we, um, we get a zoom uh, session to present on teaching during trauma so, um, and I think we, we talked about black women faculty teaching during trauma. And I think it popped up like, okay, all these things that are happening um, while, during COVID, you, you still have to teach, but there's like mm-hmm. a whole pandemic going on. There's so much social unrest and crises. And when we did this virtual Zoom, there were probably 70 plus people in the Zoom. And um, we felt like it, it really hit a chord. The way it resonated, the chat box was like very active. And we almost looked at it like, People were waiting to talk. Like they were just waiting to talk. And I remember after the conference saying, I was like, how can we keep this going? I don't want this momentum just to end here. And the people in the audience were, they were students, they were administrators, they were faculty. So we said, okay, this is something people are, it's resonating and people want to talk about. So I said, we should keep on going. We should also share this in different formats. So this was a virtual presentation. I said, maybe we can do another call for another uh, presentation. And I said, I have this really ambitious idea. I said, well, maybe we should even try to do an article. We can publish a paper and maybe even do a book project. And I'm sure Dr. Evans is probably like, what is she thinking? But I I (laughs) I want to just jump in here, though. Uh So what you need to know, the background you need to know is when COVID hit, you know, a newly came to the university during COVID. Mm-hmm. She moved her family mm-hmm. during COVID. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. for me, it was such a gift to have another woman of color in the department. And we had started to Zoom, like have little meetings mm-hmm. together just just to because I was like, I want her to stay. What is it that I can mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. to keep her here? I know that if we make sure that she's set, 
her family is set as yeah. much as possible during COVID and that we, we, we create a community for her that that might be better as a new faculty, especially during COVID time. And so the background is we were meeting like a couple of times via Zoom, her, myself, the the new chair, a person of color, and one of our other people of color faculty members as well that would join us. So, so there was this, like, we were starting the beginnings when we started mm. thinking about this story that she's, she's telling about how we came together to work. Yeah, yeah. Got it. And that's a good mention. And I think, so those conversations, this all started as conversations because mm-hmm. sometimes we'll have people say, how, wow, you had a book. How did, and it literally started with conversations, knowing that more people wanted to talk. Marion had the idea to, in the midst of all this, let's do a Zoom with um, black women administrators. Mm-hmm. And so um, she was able to pull together some of her friends and colleagues. I was able to do, um, I have a sister that's one year younger than me and she is a vice president at a university. So we, oh. um, so I said, um, I invited her to the Zoom and these were administrators. And we said, once again, the, the themes that were coming out, the stories, um, there were tears shed. We said, wow, people really need to, COVID was heavy and not a mm-hmm. lot, often people got to fully like deal with the ramifications. So um, in the midst of that, we had a Zoom, we had, um, we we did a paper on this topic and then the book idea, and the book was actually new for both of us. Neither of us had ever published a book before. Mm-hmm. So even just learning that process, it started with just, you submit like a, a yeah. letter or inquiry to the editor and you say, this is, an idea that we're interested in, mm-hmm. this is the topic, and then somebody from the editorial team gets back to you. It's a very long, intense process um, that is probably another book in itself. Um, <laughs> we learned a lot on the way. I think um, we had to do a lot of, um, we had to be very inventive and think outside the box. So for instance, Casey, how you mentioned there was this diversity of um, authors and it was very intentional. We said we want to make sure that we're very representative. One of the challenges was actually finding an indigenous voice for the book. Mm. And I was very determined. I remember saying, well, we're using the word BIPOC. We have to find an indigenous yeah. um, voice for this book. And that was one of the challenges because um, I tried so many different ways. I said, okay, let me try the, I would like do a search of, okay, in the area, who are the indigenous voices in the area um, in Connecticut? Mm-hmm. Um, they would be at different universities. I would get their profile. I would get their emails. And then I would do yep. like a list um, and uh, like very thoughtful, intentional. This is our project. Zero responses. Mm-hmm. And of course, you realize, well, they probably don't know who is behind this email is, you know, so they didn't respond. The respond. Or, and I just remember or, thinking or, that. Or we would looking for indigenous people. We would um, like I know I know indigenous people. So we reached out to some people that we knew. But they, like everybody that we, some people that we reached out to were hesitant about whether they could write a Mm. chapter or story or whatever, or they didn't have time. And, and like we, like, like, um, Anuli saying, we created a couple of different lists around indigenous people, right? Yes. And so what um, ended up being the saving grace, we, we got one author and she's here at Southern, Dr. Boudreaux. And, um, it actually happened pretty, um, you know, naturally, it was at the the MRRC, so Minority Recruitment and Retention Committee. They had a, they called it a high tea or networking event or something that was on campus. And um, and before that, I remember talking to Diane Ariza, like telling folks about this project. We just need an indigenous voice, and I think she her name had come up, 
And then I remember seeing her in the room at this event, and I remember saying, okay, and we had to do introductions. So she, we got to meet face-to-face, and I described this book project, and she said, oh, I'd be interested. So we exchanged cards, and um, and that ended up being the indigenous chapter. But I remember being so determined. I said, we can't have a book without this voice. And what she contributed was so, um, it just fit really well and was so timely. So I think those were some of the uh, parts of that journey that it really, it took a lot of, you know, being inventive, being open. Um, some of the authors expressing that they had um, had minimal writing experience. I think yes. that was the other thing. We said, oh, these are, these folks are going to say, oh, this is nothing. I'm going to be able to churn out this chapter. We actually had people that would write, we had emails like, I'm struggling with this. I, I'm not sure if I can do this. We had to kind of. And that is included mm-hmm. in the book itself, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, like I'm looking at Saida, who is currently in her second master's program in forensic psychology at John Jay. You nailed it. Koshi Carter. Uh, yeah. Yep. Like me. But the, like the, the inclusion of it, um, students and, and especially people who are who are like, I didn't I can't believe my whole life has changed after this. Talk about like once you publish, once you start making these connections, then all of a sudden it's a, a series of doors start to open for you and I just loved I mean there were a couple authors I think who talked about feeling like they they didn't think that they could do this and they didn't have to mention that in their piece that could have been sort of something they just tell you about Um, but the fact that they do include it I think just means that people who are graduate students who haven't published anything who are reading this already sort of can see their own pathway through yeah I'm like over here like hey because I could listen to y'all talk forever. This is the most just enriching conversation to me because research is kind of where I've landed in terms of where my heart is. And it's Mm. so important to have diverse voices and be able to represent communities that you're a part of and that you find important. So I am everything y'all are saying, I'm just absorbing it in. Um, I wanted to circle back to annually. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Yes, you are. I wanted to circle back to your point about how you had to find a lot of pathways yourself for these workshops and being self-sufficient and going on this road to discovery because I am feeling the same thing. Mm. (laughs) And it's very hard to not be discouraged and to continue your resilience. And this conversation just is the manifestation of the action and what Dr. Parks was saying to us a couple of episodes ago and putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. So how do you continue to stay engaged and wanting to do the research and getting the publications out? How are you not discouraged? How did you keep going? And that's for Dr. Evans as well. Cause before we came on, I'm like, you know, head in the books, I'm trying to be resilient. <laughs> so how does It's hard to be you, resilient, um, you know, alone too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is such a great question. Um, yeah. I would first say, because I just know that you're not alone. I say this to students too. I said even you know professors get in this realm. One of the things Marion and I talk about a lot is um, I always remind myself it has to be ongoing, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like maintaining your car, right? You can't just get that oil changed once and think it's going to, mm-hmm. r- you have mm-hmm. to do that ongoing, right? And so I think that's one way we've been able to kind of, uh, uh, survive and thrive in academia is you have to find ongoing sources and if you identify it. So one of the things we said, we said, okay, these, the professional development, these conferences, they provide many, it's a, it's an escape. It's a mm-hmm. networking. Yeah. You get to, it's a reunion. It's good food. It's good weather. It's a change yeah. of scenery. It's all of that in one. 
make it a point to make it on an ongoing basis. It's not just a one-time thing because I call it sometimes a shot in the arm because you'll have oh. a bad day. It'll be a, something a student, a, a colleague has said to you that microaggression might hit deep. And, you know, sometimes people leave academia as a result. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we've had conversations that um, say, if we leave, then, I mean, the students, those are the most important things. Who are the students going to have, right? The students need these voices because if we yes. leave, they're going to have like the status quo. And that's not what you want. Yeah. Um, it's like the quote I read somewhere is like one way to you can make a difference, right? You can make a difference yourself, or you can actually mentor someone who will make that difference, right? Mm. So every little bit counts. You know, you might be mentoring that next change maker. If you leave academia, you know, what are the students going to have, right? So when you yeah. have those days of frustration, when you have that source of support, it means a lot. And then I think those ongoing sources. So um, as to the question of the professional development, I scour, you know, it's, it's a, you know, I'm motivated. I scour, mm -hmm. I'm like, where are those resources? And, you know, some of them can be in like social media groups, or I think if you go to a webinar, I, I always believe in ongoing learning. If you go to a, mm -hmm. a webinar or just an event, you never know what piece of nugget you're going to find. You never know who's in the room. Mm -hmm. So soak it in like you are, like you said, you are doing, keep doing that. Um, go to these conferences. If there's something that's nearby, local, free, available, go. You walk past the flyer. Yes. <laughs> you know, sometimes students say, I take pictures of flyers all the time. Yes. Because you never know, like sure. soak yep. up that information. You never know who you meet. That might be your next coworker, your next employee, boss. You never yeah. know who's in the room. Showing up is really half the battle. So I would just say keep yeah. scouring and, and take it, seize um, opportunities and the moment. Just seize every opportunity because nothing is ever inconsequential. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Nothing. There's nothing that's ever too small. You know, people say, how do you get to where you are today? Well, maybe you made that effort years ago that probably planted a seed or it allowed you to meet someone or network with someone that created that next opportunity. And I'll just add, yeah. Saida, that, you know, for me, it made a world of difference when Dr. Um, Joku came because find a collaborator. This project was a collaboration and and Anuli was was actually hired to be interdisciplinary. Right. Like her, her you know, when she was hired here at the, the library, I mean, here at the university, she was hired for interdisciplinary work that she was supposed to go among departments and 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 do this collaborative work for me at the at, at the university it was new mm. it was new for me to find someone that when i didn't feel like doing it when like she talked about those microaggressions or we experienced microaggressions you know we're always calling each other we're always texting each other like <laughs> do you have a minute i need to talk to you right mm. fine a group, find a person, find, you know, someone. And I know your your head is in the books, but that expansion, part of your expansion is being collaborative. And the collaboration, um, I can't say enough about, like um, what doors, as Anuli has talked about, has it has opened people that I might not have had deep conversation with, the just being able to reach out. I just had a conversation yesterday with another young um, Black woman here on campus who's trying to go through her doctorate program. To think that I would be talking to anybody, you know, you know, a couple of years ago about, you know, sisterhood in academy, you know, or something like that is, is just really 
So find someone that you can talk to who you're comfortable with. And, and we talk, you know, about everything. Did you hear what this person said during this meeting? Right? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you and, and you need that. You need that. You need, that. you need to release because if not, yes. you will explode. You'll say, okay, I'm right. done. I'm leaving. Yep. Well, so, yeah. so, I mean, this as we're having this conversation, I'm looking at the time. I'm like, this could be a two hour, easily a two hour conversation. 100%. You, can, you can invite us back. Uh, yeah. And I, frankly, yes. anyone who's listening from other 100%. universities, I think this is a great opportunity to have, you know, have a campus kind of read and invite these two to come to your space yeah. and, yes, and yes. talk to you. So just a, you know, invitation to put out there. But one of the things that is coming through in you know, you talked about that pressure, thinking like, do I want to leave? I'm experiencing all this stuff, but for the students. And I think one of the the really important parts of the book, the, specifically the, the crisis of COVID-19 um, and the trauma that was heavier um, in Black and Latino, especially communities, that women in higher ed are dealing with their own grief, their own loss, mm-hmm. managing, and I forget which author was talking about, um, metabolizing stress um, for their family and for loved ones and for students and often also for colleagues. So in addition to that, to that sort of conditions that are ongoing, then on top of that, we have the pandemic and, and we're hearing from people about how did they navigate that as mothers, as, as teachers and preserve themselves or struggle with that. Anyway, I just think that that piece is important and it's not just, what we can take from the book and learn from the book is not only specific to the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, yes. it, it we can take out of it. I think that's a great mention. You kind of, um, I actually talk about self-care and I talk about how it's an, it's a, it's a word we use a lot, but it can mean many things, right? But most importantly, it's investing in yourself. And I give examples of what that self-care can mean. So it could be, um, as humans being interpersonal beings, you know, you need to have a way to just um, talk to other people's. And we said, even if it's that virtual Zoom, you know, um, even if it's, um, I, I talked about the need for exercise, for your mind, for your just socialization, taking a campus walk with like a buddy on campus, mm-hmm. you're more likely to get a more effective workout, uh, more, burn more calories, and you'll be less self-conscious than if you did the walk alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I also talked about um, just seeking out resources at a, a, a university, whether it be uh, counseling or mental health services, those are important. Um, self-care can look like blocking out your calendar and um, planning um, beach days or a time away with family and friends and being very intentional about that. Um, mm. Dr. Evans and I, one thing, we share a love of travel. So we love yes. to travel. So I yes. say just having something to look forward to, like having, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'm going to be able to go this place yeah. and, you know, I'm um, blocking that out on your calendar. Um, and then I also said about um, investing in yourself in the sense of uh, building your resume with certifications, trainings, webinars, that you're, you're investing in yourself and building mm-hmm. your profile so that you can be marketable. So find mm-hmm. ways to continue to that ongoing learning um, that's a form of self-care because you're actually you're um, building yourself and making yourself marketable for wherever that um, next step or current step may be. Yeah. So I, I've seen you guys work together on multiple fronts um, in this self-care realm, you know, with, you know, the inclusion of another professor. Um, we spoke about her earlier, um, Professor Hutchison. Did that kind of stem from this um, this kind of, sisterhood type of creation around this book and this 
work and, you know, looking into the struggles and the hardships and you coming during COVID. So all these things happening at the same time and you releasing at the same time as you processing for the book. Did that kind of come out of this and this birth and now you guys are carrying the torch for this self-care space? Yeah. That is a great yeah, question. Yeah. yeah, no, Danielle, that is that is really wonderful. You know, we've got a great story and, and Anuli can add to it that, you know, her and I were working. I actually had colleagues, actually one of the administrators here that we did the administrative talk with. She says, I've seen a difference in you since you've started working with Anuli. And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, right? Mm-hmm. And then one of our colleagues, Dr. Hutchinson, came to, came to us in an email and said, Hey, here's this conference. I've got this idea. Can can we do this together? That's that's opening doors. That's mm-hmm. creating that's creating space and table that she felt comfortable enough to even come to us. Mm-hmm. Want to include us in? I mean, she's 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 a superstar in her own right, mm-hmm. right? Yep. She could have just gone and, and done her project by herself, right? But to be able to say let me think about bringing in these other sisters, right? Mm-hmm. These other these other women here in this academy um, to work with kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I you know, uh, I think that it all came together and, and it's so clearly talked about in, in pieces of the book. Well, I just, there are so many pages where I was like, oh, can we talk about this one and this one and this one? Because they're, they're not long essays, which is also nice. I have tabs on my book, yeah, right? Like I've got all these little tabs. <laughs> well, I want to just, the piece that, that, you know, I think resonates with the conversation we've been having right now is the, toward the end of Sienna Abdullahad's piece, um, where she's talking about reclaiming her time. And, and I just want to yeah. read just a few lines from this. She said, I've actively chosen for myself a healthier life. At one point, I was planning to pursue a terminal degree in education, and I no longer feel the need to accomplish that goal. I've left my role as a professional leading equity, diversity, and inclusion work to become a co-director for a center for social innovation on campus. I do not have the desire to save the world from itself or serve as an institutional token of racialized or gendered representation. I just want to live comfortably, be healthy, live long enough to see my children thrive and honor those that I've lost with the life they'd be proud of. I want a soft, carefree, long and healthy life for myself. I want this for any black woman in higher education who has had enough with putting her body on the line for various causes without considering herself and her humanity. Yeah. Wow. That was beautiful. I know. Yeah. There are just so many. I mean, I'm like, I get goosebumps. I know. <laughs> I know. You just, you see that, that people have, they, these are, everyone has a real gift to offer in each of these essays. Um, huge fan of this book. I wonder, well, I wish we could spend more time with y'all, but you're very busy people um, and we have to let you go. But I wonder, um, I'm torn between, so I guess choose, you could pick option A or B. Um, either what's next for you. And I'm sure, you know, it's multiple what's next. Um, or what is sort of one of the biggest learnings for you, you know, through the book? Ooh. Like, what does it shift? Well, you just spoke really, Marion, about some of how it's shifted you. So many great questions. <laughs> I, I think um, my takeaway is just the possibilities are truly endless. You know, like was mentioned I think seeing the physical book and being like, wow, we did it. And mm-hmm. it started with just literally a conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, anything is truly possible. I think that is a takeaway. Um, in terms of what's next, I think even just talking here today, is this a reminder that there could be many 
more of these. I think that there, it's just a topic that resonates with people and that people want to share and talk and listen. So I think in terms of what's next, I know in the spring of uh, 2024, we are um, looking into having events at the university here at Southern. Nice. There is a women and gender studies conference um, yes. that oh, we wonderful. submitted a panel. Um, after yep, we panel. submitted, yeah, mm-hmm. we submitted a panel. Um, and I love the book read idea. So if mm-hmm. you um, have ideas, we're open for the, that suggestion. Yeah, um, yeah. To keep this conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. Anuli and I, there's so much mm-hmm. <laughs> that comes across our plate mm-hmm. that we are always like tag teaming. Oh, did you see this? Did you see this? I want to make sure. Are you going to apply for this? Or I'll reach out to her and I'll say, hey, I'm thinking about submitting something for this on our work, on our work, you know, kind of thing. And so we've been spending the last, we're, we're, we've got a colleague, we we're going to re- reconnect with. We just had a conversation with some people in Algeria. Ooh. We went to Cuba. And so that is coming out of our trips to Cuba together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that we've got this colleague now in Algeria that wants to do some 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 research and publishing with us. There's some people on campus that have approached us that when Anuli and I find time, hopefully over mm-hmm. the break, to sit down and talk about everything. Um all these conversations that we're having. I think a couple of people I know reached out to me in New Haven, um, Mr. Fick, Ficklin, Tom Ficklin, many people know him. He wants to do something on one of his radio shows. Someone has put our book on their blog, you know, and I mean, there's so many projects, right? You know, Blown that up. Part, of, part of it is what Sienna's talking about is like, how do you stop and say, okay, how do I preserve myself? For me, this year is a big year. I'm, I turned a big number. Mm. And so I'm taking the whole year to celebrate and do things each month for myself, which mm. is a form of self-care. Mm-hmm. But then it's also a form of just enjoying myself, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, so all of those types of things, I think, uh, are really uh, in, the, in, in the next stages. But, you know, just doing more, sharing more continuing this perspective, continuing, as we say, in women's health or women and gender studies to transgress, to push the needle, because there's still stuff going on, right? And it's not just the media and the news bites, you know, that we 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 see. There's a whole lot of other issues that we can't take our eye off the ball, especially. And this theme for me is actually you know, part of my life, you know, I went to an all girls high school, not knowing that this mm. would be a thread throughout my life, this, this sisterhood and women, women's feminists and, and things like that. So thank you guys for inviting us to talk a little bit and share a little bit. Well, thank you for yeah. this so much. I mean, thank what a, you. what a life-giving conversation at the very yes. end of the semester, which is not, <laughs> I yeah, would say, no. what's happening in all spaces. People are tired, but you wouldn't know it from talking to you all today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was wonderful. Yeah. yeah, this is awesome. Thank you both yeah, so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having us.